Hello, church. Good morning. How are you this morning? Amen. Still having a great new year? Amen. So far, read my Bible every day this year. Amen. Right? How about you? Yep. Studied my Bible every day this year. Amen. Prayed every day. Been pure every day. How about you? Amen. Giving my weekly offering to God every week so far this year. Amen. How about you? <laughs> Everybody's like, I, I don't know. I think the Lord's probably watching. I better be careful how I answer here. Amen. Well, hopefully your year has started off uh, in a great fashion and uh, that you're doing super great with God. You, you feel like you're connecting with God. You're getting closer to the Lord. Uh, you feel like you're... Uh, more and more grateful for your salvation, more and more grateful for the family of God, for your marriage, for your children, for your parents. Amen? Amen. That's how everyone's feeling, right? Yeah. Amen. And uh, if that doesn't describe you, well, thank God that uh, the year has just begun and uh, you do not have to have a year. Otherwise, you can still turn it around. Amen? Amen, Amen church? Amen. Amen. Because uh, this year we want to uh, go deeper with God, do we not? We want to go deeper in our relationship with God, deeper in our relationship with one another, deeper in our understanding of Scripture, deeper in our uniting in prayer, deeper in our zeal and our goal to save the lost. Amen? And we're all about that. Amen? I'm just being assumptive here, right? I'm not wrong, am I? Amen. It's just weird how there's volume and then it's a little quiet. There's volume. It just depends on what the question is. Um, well, I am certainly grateful for uh, all the time we were able to spend yesterday uh, serving different people uh, during our Hope Day of Service and um, or our Day of Hope serving, whatever, whatever we call it. And to all the volunteers, all the brothers that work so hard on it, uh, to Mary D who works so hard on it and just have such a great heart to serve other people. And uh, it's great to, uh, to be able today to receive some plaques uh, in a sense, but uh, certainly we weren't expecting that. And uh, I know next year we won't work any harder because we think we might get a bigger one. But uh, um, we're still very, very grateful to receive those. And uh, we feel blessed to be able to even be in an organization where uh, other people help us to serve in ways that deep down we all want to anyway. But sometimes we, we get too busy, we can't find the time, or we don't make the time, or whatever the case is. And, and, and so it's great to be able to have a day or a couple of days where we, it's set aside. And we say, okay, we know for sure. You know, hopefully I'll do it more days than just today, but we know for sure on this day I'm going to serve those uh, that uh, have less than we have and, 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 and do what I can to give back to God a little bit. And so uh, to all the congregation who was able to serve yesterday and to those of you who weren't able but were praying for those that were able, you know, we're super, super grateful. Thank you so much for that. Um, the title of my lesson this morning is going to be given to you right after we read Isaiah. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah. Chapter 6. Oh, wow. He's taking this deeper thing serious. He's going to Old Testament. Amen. And uh, Tom, great job. That was almost exactly how I said to say it, but it was really, really close. I appreciated what you shared um, during, during the communion. Let's, uh, let's read in the book of Isaiah here in chapter 6, in verse, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. 
seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and with a live coal, a hot coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And all the church said, Awesome and amen, right? Let's have a word of prayer. Almighty Father, we bow before you this morning yet again because we know that truly, God, um, it would not be improper in many ways for us to constantly be bowing our heads in honor and homage to and of you. And God, we're just so grateful that you allow us to be Christians, so grateful you give us your word of God, so grateful you help us to understand things uh, on on a deeper level. That you've opened our eyes that that we might perhaps see just a little glimpse of who you are and of who you long for us to be and what you created us for. And and God, we just we feel uh, just amazed. God, we feel unworthy just as Isaiah did. And God, we're just grateful to be together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fellowship, for the believers, uh, all the saints, God, that you've blessed us so richly. And uh, you've blessed each and every one of us with to be with each other, but mostly for Jesus. God, we know that Jesus really is um, who you are and has showed us clearly who you are and we're forgiven because of him and what he sacrificed and what you allowed him to sacrifice. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to talk about our most holy God. And I think that, you know, it's really um, easy to do this and, and, and hard not to do this, which is, you know, no matter what we're, we're talking about as preachers, what our subject is, it's very easily, uh, even when we're trying to do a sermon on God, you know, that, that, that somehow it becomes more about people. Right? Anthro, more trick or something like that. Is that right, Tom? Um, and what am I asking Todd for? Broadus knows. So, um, okay. Um, Right? It's like Mission Impossible. It's not all gold, you know, so um, but the words of God are. So I think that, you know, what I want to try to do is, yes, I'll talk a little bit, you know, about us and, 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 and to us. But I really want us to try to be able to catch a glimpse of who God is the way that Isaiah was able to here in chapter six. And in the opening chapters, the opening verses of this uh, incredible chapter, the famous you know, prophet Isaiah finds himself standing at the great temple. Of Jerusalem, and the Temple of Jerusalem was magnificent, incredible. You know, it was a, it was probably um, one of the largest known structures or man-made structures in the earth at that time. Certainly, probably the biggest thing by far that Isaiah himself had ever seen. It had massive pillars. You know that that I, I remember. You know, getting to go through Rome once and, and and seeing. I think it was the Palladium where it had these just monstrous pillars. 
Even the front door, remember, you know, standing against that and taking a picture, and the door was, you know, seemed almost as big as this room. I mean, it was just like, you know, how did they do that? You know, were guys back then as strong as guys like me are today, where they could lift that up, and you just you wouldn't think they'd be as big, and, but nutrition and everything being what it was and wasn't. Um, but, you know, certainly Isaiah was just in awe of what he saw here. You know, the gold-planted ceiling, you know, the, just the, the, the massive temple of God, and certainly we see that Isaiah just, you know, entering in to this temple uh, in the way that he did, weakened his knees. Probably just, you know, his drop jaw probably dropped as he was staring at it, you know, and looking at this massive structure. Probably thought what you and I would think, you know, and, and even what I thought when I was staring at those pillars and that huge door at the, you know, big. This is really big, and so Isaiah was probably thinking that as well. But he experiences something even that takes him even further. He's shaken a little bit by what he's already seen. And then his knees begin to collapse because what he sees next. He looks up suddenly in the air above Isaiah. He sees these large creatures, you know, incredible creatures. And they have, you know, three pairs of wings, six wings. And, you know, with two of the wings, they're, they're covering, you know, uh, uh, their, their eyes. And with the other two, they're covering their feet, which, you know, is a euphemism for their shameful or private parts. And, and with the other two wings, they're flying around. Flying about him, you know, and above him, you know, with stunning speed and, you know, singing this thunderous song. And at the sound of their voices, it says that the doorposts, these magnificent, you know, posts began to tremble. That they even shook. And then it says the temple was filled with smoke at that point in time as well. And so the idea of the word probably came to Isaiah's mind is like the temple is amazing, but, you know, it's big. But these things are even greater. Perhaps these things are even greater than the temple, something that couldn't be imagined. And then something happens which sends Isaiah from on his knees to falling on his face. He suddenly understands why these awesome angelic, you know, beings, angels, if you were, flying around and why they're covering their feet and their eyes. In a sense, it's, it's this desperate act of humility because as great as they are, as amazing and magnificent as they are, there's a presence there that's even greater than they are. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And just the train of his robe, you know, just the thinnest part of, of what trailed behind the Lord. It says, just that filled this magnificent temple. And at the glimpse of just that, the angelic warriors erupted into song, what? Holy, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. You know, it's been said that if you're plotting reality on a scale from, oh my goodness, to, oh my glory, then there is big, or there is big, then there is greater, and far beyond all human categories, there is God. And that's what Isaiah saw. That's what he saw. These, you know, he saw this temple and he was, you know, knocked down, knocked back by this temple. And then beyond that, he saw these creatures that were, you know, magnificent, even beyond this magnificent structure that he saw that he'd never seen anything like it. But they were even more amazing. And yet they were covering their eyes and their feet because they were in a presence. They were in the presence of something far beyond themselves. And I don't know about all of us, but I know. Sometimes I struggle to see God as being that great. Like, I know he is. And if you ask me, I would tell you, he's like nothing we can, we can explain. I mean, heaven's even beyond what we can imagine. 
But God's greater than heaven. You know, and, and I don't always, you know, uh, just find myself in awe of God. And maybe you do. Maybe you walk around, you know, just in awe all the time. And every little thing you see, every, you know, reminds you of God. And you're going, he's bigger, you know. But I have to sometimes focus on that. I have to allow myself to really think about it or study the scriptures or hear a lesson like this and go, wow, wait a minute. God is incredible. You know, would you be pretty amazed if all of a sudden we saw these giant six wing, you know, creatures flying around in here and the whole building was shaking because they were thunderously singing out and proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The earth is full of his glory. I don't think any of us would be going, hmm. I've seen Lord of the Rings. I've seen those, you know, I mean. Because what if they really were here, right? And this place was shaking and it was filled with smoke. We would begin to realize even on a much deeper level that truly God is a holy, holy, holy. You know, something what the Bible means when it tells us that God is holy. And on one level, you know, the word holy, you know what it means? You know, set apart as indifferent from or other than. And we talk about the attributes of God, you know, whatever they may be. Sometimes if we describe God in, in, in terms that we can understand, you know, for instance, we might say that God is sufficient or good or trustworthy. Or loving. And we can draw on our experiences of, of, of from people we've seen who we feel like really em- exemplify those traits or their, those characteristics. And we can kind of go, okay, I can kind of get my arms around God being trustworthy or God being loving or God being sufficient or good, you know, because we've kind of seen that. But when it comes to holy, it's really even by definition, it means something other than what we're used to, something other than what we are, something other than what we have really seen. One guy writes it this way. He says, I saw an insect crawling across the floor of my study, and I walked right by it. The bug froze in its tracks. Was this because the insect really understood the difference between me and it? Do you think it could take in anything more than the fact that the edge of my shoe was colossally larger than it was? Staring at life from all of three millimeters high, do you think it could understand what it was to move through the world at 6'4"? Do you suppose that the insect had any capacity to perceive the gap between the little nerve bundle in its head and the power of even my very ordinary human mind? And even if my little brain contains at least the potential to compose literature, engineer skyscrapers, design a space shuttle, or unravel the working of genes, what do you suppose is the capacity of the creator of the universe? God is to me, not as I was to that bug, but as I am to one of the tiniest subatomic particles that make up that insect. On a scale from blind and puny to brilliant and powerful, there is small, big, and greater, and then far beyond imagining anything else, there is God. And so when we try to figure out, you know, what does it mean to be holy and and, and what makes our God holy or how is it that our God is holy? We're saying, you know, that God stands apart from us. You're familiar with, you know, my ways are not your ways. My words are not your words. And we, 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 we wrestle sometimes. We go, yeah, but we're made in, in, in your, we're created in your image. And yet he still says, even though I created you and I created you in my image, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Why? Because I am so far beyond anything you will ever be in this life. Does God say it pridefully? No, he just simply says it factually. 
It's kind of what Tom was sharing. No, you slaves, it's just how it is. We may not like it. We may not feel good about it. We may not think it's fair, but it, it's how it is. Right? It's like the price of gasoline, right? We all know, you know, how unfair that is. We all know how borderline illegal it is for gas to be. Yeah, but in Europe, I don't live in. That's why I live here. I want to be in a country that's triple A rated, you know. No, that's the kind of thing I typically will, you know, educate and school you on separately, individually. Amen. But suffice to say, we know it's unfair, but it is what it is. You can't go to the gas pump and go, I'm not paying it. You know, I'm protesting. Well, then there, you'll sit there with your car. And then pretty sooner or later, you're going to get beat up because somebody's going to be the wrong person and wants you to move that car and decide they waited long enough. Right? Nobody can beat me up. Okay, I know you tough guys. It wouldn't happen, but. But that's what we're saying about God is that he stands apart from us. He's different from or other than us. And he is that way. Certainly we know in intelligence and in power. We, we, we understand that to some extent. But it also, you know, holiness also carries it with the sense of superior character. You know, that, that God is, is all, in, all in all totally different from us even in his character. We may try to emulate some of his attributes, some of the attributes of his character, but we are not like God. You know, our English word holy actually derives uh, itself from the uh, Anglo-Saxon word helig. And what that word means is well or whole. And so to say that God is holy is to say that he's not just, you know, so much more intelligent or or so much more powerful than we are at a level that we can't imagine. But it's also to say that he's healthy in a way in which you and I have never seen. And so in his... um, In one of his books, A.W. Tozer writes, God is the absolute quintessence of moral excellence, infinitely perfect in his righteousness, purity, and recessitude. We cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by simply thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising the concept to the highest degree we are capable of. God's holiness is not simply the best we know infinitely bettered. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness, in the sense of absolute health, he cannot even imagine. Only the spirit of the Holy One can impart to the human spirit the knowledge of the Holy. And you know, I can remember visiting my dad in the hospital and my dad was always you know a really healthy guy and uh uh, you know uh, he and my mom adopted my sister and i when when i was uh almost 10 years old and my sister 11 and uh you know my dad was raised on a ranch in colorado and and uh um just you know about my height you know pretty pretty tall and um um (laughs) as i said but um um my dad was really really healthy you know, he was, he was a, you know, like you, you, you think of, you know, a farm boy, right? I mean, my dad grew up on a ranch in Colorado. He had big arms, big legs, just, you know, strong, just, and, and, and really one of the greatest guys. I mean, I love my dad, you know, the way Mike loved his dad. Just honored him and, 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 and loved him and appreciated him, respected him. And, 
And I always had this, you know, my goal always was, you know, I want my dad to become a Christian. He's one of the best people I know. And, and so my, my, my thought was, you know, someday my dad will retire and, you know, I, I'll live in a warm place like, you know, uh, here or Arizona or something. And, uh, when, you know, when I'm a little bit older, Arizona might not seem as hot to me as it would now. Um, but, and then my dad, my mom and dad will come live there and I'll, you know, play golf with my dad and we'll get that time and, and I'll convert him. You know, my dad will become a Christian. And, and I always had this. And there was even part of me, you know, it's like sometimes when, you know, some of you guys, you buy a lottery ticket and you really think you're going to win. You just thought you had some kind of divine thing and, and got, you know, and, and, you know, you don't and you're very disappointed. Um, but, you know, then my dad got sick. And it's like my dad really, you know, was in, in a sense, even though I'm adopted, I hardly ever get sick. And, and not, you know, even when I do, it doesn't last very long. Typically, I'm very lucky in that way. And my dad was very healthy like that. Like, I, I, I never remember him being home, you know, staying home from work because he was sick or any of those kinds of things, you know. And, and he got sick, and it was hard to deal with. But, you know, I, I saw my dad when he was sick, and, and he already, you know, after he'd gotten sick, and he already looked worse. But he still looked, you know, kind of like my dad. And then, you know, we, you know, came back home, of course. They were in Colorado, and, and Angela and I were here. And um, initially we were in Texas. But then, but then I went back to see my dad after he'd been put in a home because my mom could no longer, you know, take care of him. And it was like, wow. I mean, he just looked so different. You know, and, 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 and why? Different from what? Well, different from the way I'd always known him. You know, and so it's kind of um, <clears throat> when you think of that, um, um, we typically spend time around people without disease, you know. But what if, you know, just think about how different my dad looked from the way he was before. And But what if, you know, I grew up in an oncology ward or something and I had not as severe of, 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 of cancer as maybe some of the other people. Around, but that's what I grew up around. You know, and so I only saw that. Well, maybe I only saw stage four people and, and I, I, might, I might think that I myself, I'm in pretty good shape. Because that was my, right, my, my, my example. That's all I saw. That's all I knew was sick people who were, who were even sicker than I. And so I might look around and go, okay, I'm, I'm actually in pretty good shape here. And in some ways, you know, that's the story that the Bible tells us about us. You know, in the book of Genesis, it says that humanity once lived with a great deal more intelligence or power and health of character than we do now. You know, they were living in communion with God. Human beings, in that sense, were holy beings, not on the same level as God, but much more dramatically than they are today. They walked with God. They took care of the garden. They fellowshiped with God. They loved one another. And then, of course, sin entered. They turned their backs on God and the source of the true wisdom and power and health, if you will. And the original sin became, what, a spiritual cancer. And now we're all born with it. And we've lived with it, that disease, our whole life. And many people today, they think maybe perhaps that they are intelligent enough to live without God. They believe themselves maybe even powerful enough to master the creation, right? Tom and I were talking this morning, you know, about going to, to, going to the moon. Was that really a good thing? Or what, what is that, you know, and how some intel, some, I can't remember the gentleman he's talking about, but it scared him when he saw it because he thought, now people aren't even afraid of that. Man will think even more highly of himself than he did before. And some people believe that they regard themselves as healthy enough, maybe even to merit heaven or or certainly healthy enough to escape hell. Right. Because they're not near as bad as this guy. And if he's going to hell and I'm way better than him, then I'm pretty healthy. If this guy has stage four, even though I have cancer, I'm pretty. And that's how we are, because we compare ourselves to what we see around us. 
You know, even ostensibly religious people talk about, you know, God sort of as the big guy upstairs, right? Or they look at Jesus or God as, as a Mr. Rogers. And Pink put it this way. He said that people speak of God as if he were very much like an indulgent old man who himself had no relish for folly, but leniently winks at the indiscretions of youth. And yet God is a consuming fire. You know, God imparts wisdom to the human spirit of the holy, certainly. And some people, you know, who see that may fall terrified of God, but God doesn't wink at indiscretions. And, you know, as, as, as one of the ministers of this church, I mean, it's been, you know, heartbreaking. All the sin that, 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 that you know, you see over the years, but certainly even, even this, this young year. Different sin in our fellowship that, that you're probably totally unaware of, but that we're, you, you just, and sometimes, you, you know, you, you wonder, well, who's he talking to? Why is he, you know, and yet there's sin. And I think sometimes it's because we don't understand how holy God is. We don't understand what it is that God is doing. We don't understand how lost we are and how lost we remain unless we stay close to God. But God is a consuming fire, the Bible says. And when we see a glimpse of God, they need to have the same response that Isaiah had. Woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And that response of Isaiah is the appropriate one. And it's one that most of us, when we really deeply study the Bible, when we begin to see our sin, we typically get to that point where we go, Wow, I am unclean. I am unworthy. I know when I was studying the Bible with a group of young men, that I told you this before, but that's how I felt. I felt, I'm not even worthy to be around these guys. Look at the way they live versus the way I've been living. They're so much better than me is how I felt. They're so much purer. They're so much cleaner. They're, 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 they're just um, naive in a good way is how I felt. And then some of them share with me that their, what their life was like before they were the way they became. And I was like, ah, not so different. Maybe not as bad. I know a lot of you are thinking that anyway. I know they weren't as bad as me, but not so different. But yet I just felt so unclean, right? So unworthy when I saw that. And especially when I saw what Jesus did for me. When I saw why Jesus had to do what he did for me. And the Bible underlines the fact that the response of a holy God is not some indulgent wink, but rather wrath. You know, some of us think that's simply the teaching of perhaps one of the hellfire, you know, Old Testament prophets. But let's look at some words of Jesus. Michael, can you put the first scripture up there? In Matthew chapter 12. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. Next verse. Matthew 16 and verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. And one more. Luke 21 and verse 23. How dreadful it would be. It would be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the, in the land and wrath against his people. And of course, that's Jesus speaking. 
There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. And of course, Jesus is speaking of for all the unholiness, for all those people who have not turned themselves in, if you will, to Jesus Christ. And see, the Bible says, listen to another example. James Bryan Smith writes this. In the same way that God's love is not a silly, sappy feeling, but rather a consistent desire for the good of his people, so also the wrath of God is not a crazed rage, but rather a consistent opposition to sin and evil. It is a mindful, objective, rational response. God is not indecisive when it comes to evil. God is fiercely and forcefully opposed to the things that destroy his precious people. God is against my sin because he is for me. N.T. Wright puts it this way. The biblical doctrine of God's wrath is rooted in the doctrine of God as the good, wise, and loving creator who hates, yes, hates and hates implacably anything that spoils, defaces, distorts, or damages his beautiful creation. And in particular, anything that does that to his image-bearing creatures. If God does not hate racial, racial prejudice, he is neither good nor loving. If God is not wrathful, a child abuse, he's neither good nor loving. If God is not utterly determined to root out from his creation in an act of proper wrath and judgment, the arrogance that allows people to exploit, bomb, bully, and enslave one another, he is neither loving nor good nor wise. And see, in a sense... We can understand that when we think of big stuff, we think of, you know, Hitler or something like that, like that. Of course, we expect God to be mad and of course, we expect him to do something about it. When we see injustice in our world, we get upset and say, why is God allowing that? And what are we really saying? Why doesn't he stop that? Why doesn't he take those people out who are doing that? That's what we're really saying. But see, then when it comes to our sin. Oh, well, you know, all I did was, you know, lust a little bit. Well, all I did was, you know, divorce my husband or wife. Well, all I did was, you know, be hatefulness. All I did was cheat a little bit on my ta- All I did was, you know, get mad at somebody and sweat. You know, whatever we did is little. And everybody, it's the Mr. Rogers. It's the one that God kind of winks at like, you know, dude, nobody's perfect. Don't worry about that one. <laughs> There's a lot of big sin going on. You don't need to worry. So what? You looked at a couple pictures on the Internet. Are you, are you Satan? No, you're not. That's what we want to tell ourselves that's what satan wants us to tell ourselves and yet if god allows those things to go then he is neither loving nor wise and that takes a more mature spiritual perspective to see it that way but nonetheless it's true someone said god longs with such holy pathos for the healing of his creatures and his creation that he will allow to go to hell anyone who will not accept the healing that he offers to them. And you think about why is that? Well, think about how long could heaven remain heaven if God just allowed everybody in? Because he's loving, so just it would be just like this. How many, you know, you may have had a moment here or two where you said, man, this is heaven on earth. You know, in the glory, glory days of the 90s when the Cowboys were winning all the Super Bowls. I mean, I feel you. Heaven on earth. I mean, life is upside down now. You even have the 49ers win a, in a playoff game, and they win. It's just incredible, mind-boggling to me. Um, um, but, you know, God also was still God this year. The Raiders, again, didn't make it. Um, um, you know, and uh, um, no, but I think, you know, you still need to visit our prison ministry and love up on those Raider fans there. Um, 
I think in some ways Mike is a Raider fan because he feels like it, it shows his true righteousness to rise above. You know what I mean? Like, if I can, if I can love the Raiders and still be righteous, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, but see, one requirement for going to heaven is to recognize, as Isaiah did, that you and I are not even close to healthy. We're an unclean person. We're an unclean people. And without the touch of the great physician, we have no hope. But praise be to God, right? We do have hope. Amen? The Bible says that God is a consuming fire in Hebrews chapter 12. And we need to make no mistake that His holiness will consume sin in the end. In the end, guys, God's holiness will just simply consume sin. It will just consume it because that's who God is in His holiness and He cannot be otherwise. But in the meantime, God's holiness is purifying us. It's purifying anyone who turns to him and turns to Jesus. Hear the words again of Isaiah here. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. So even the angels couldn't touch these coals because they, they had to get tongs, you know. But it says, with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And so, brothers and sisters, in a sense, let us live up to what we've already obtained. How dare we go back to the ways of the world, the shameful ways, the things that we repented of, the things that we long to no longer be. We need to be a righteous people. We'll be, we won't be perfect in this life. This won't be heaven, but we need to strive for it. We need to hate sin as best we can. Try to hate it in the way that God does. And yet we also need to love righteousness. We need to love our brothers and sisters. Even when they're in sin, we need to love them and care for them and nurture them and maybe rebuke them at times. And sometimes even as the Bible says, kick them out for a while. Because God is a holy God. But those of you who have not been touched in this way by Jesus, you know, won't you make a decision to either continue studying the Bible or get serious about studying the Bible or start studying the Bible to find out how you can become clean after being unclean. Those of you who need to be restored to the Lord, when will you just be humble and just say, whatever I need to do, you just tell me what to do and what manner and I'll do it no matter how long it is. I mean, just having the heart of what God says here. Because our God is a most holy God. And you know, it's like sometimes we see all the sin that goes on. Even in our fellowship, we start thinking, are we just playing church? We have so many, you know, and, and, and obviously I'm, I'm more, you know, affiliated with the, the married ministry than anything else. I'm, I'm sure in, in, in other ways it's the same way in every ministry. But I, I just marvel. How can you live like this? You don't have to live like this. Your marriages can glorify God. You can be happy, loving people, but we're not humble enough. And we're, we're, we're not striving for our own personal righteousness enough. We are seeing everybody else's sin as being so much greater than our own. And guys, I hate to say it, but it, 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 it destroys our fellowship. We can't live with the kind of glory and the kind of love and the kind of hope and the kind of healing that we need to be. Those are the people we need to be. Not the ones still striving to be healed every state. No, we need to be healing others. With the help we ourselves have received. God has given us a great calling to live as a holy people. He set us apart as his holy nation. And some of us, even as I look in the audience, I feel we just look away. We're, we're, we're not even paying. I don't know if we're even paying attention. Do we really get it? But we serve a holy God. The kind when Isaiah saw just the, just the train of his, his thing. You know, the train of his robe. Yeah. Um, kind of lose a little power when you get there. But when he saw the train, he just said, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. When the, when, the, when, the, when the seraphim saw it, they're like, holy, holy, holy. And that's almost all they're seeing. 
And just the train of his robe filled this massive temple because that's how holy and great and grand our God is. That's who we serve. We need to live up to what we've already obtained. Amen? Amen, church.